Hi, everyone. We're back for another episode of the Daybreak Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Nizam. And this is one episode that is extremely close to my heart. When I was younger, I had a vision of my life, not unlike that of many other young girls and women, to get married, have a big house that was a home and fill it with a few babies of my own. To be exact, I was going to get married at 24 to a handsome, strong but silent husband in a lavish wedding and then have my first baby at 26, a girl, and a second at 28, a boy. But plans rarely go according to plan, as I'm sure many of you can attest to, because here I am at almost 40, single and childless. Listen, I can't complain. I've had incredible adventures, a fulfilling career, and the most amazing friends and family. My life has been truly blessed. But as I've grown older, my circle of friends has evolved and in some ways grown smaller. People have moved on to build their own families. My parents are aging and needing more care. And that feeling of invincibility from my youth has softened. I'm recognizing my mortality more and more. So my dreams have morphed and expanded over the years, and I'm acknowledging a new longing, a desire to belong. I'm asking myself, what does my version of family look like? Do the dreams I had at 24 still hold true? What legacy will I leave behind? And will it end with me? Who will be at my end with me? And most importantly, what do I do with all the love bursting inside of me wanting to be shared? These questions have led me to ponder the possibility of having a child. But in the absence of that handsome, strong, but silent husband, what are my options? I'm joined today by a dear friend, Laura Gillen, who a few years back made the bold choice to become a single mom by using a sperm donor. I've never asked Laura all the details, and I'm incredibly grateful that she agreed to be here today and share her journey with me and all of you. We'll dive into the process, the highs, the lows, the learnings, and the immense joy that this decision has brought to her life. So whether you've ever considered unconventional paths to parenthood, or you're simply curious about the beautiful complexities of family and love, stay with us. Laura's story is both inspiring and enlightening, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's just get to it and welcome Laura. Thank you, Miriam. It's an honor to be sitting here with you and, and have the opportunity to share my story. I would just really like Laura to start off with telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I hail from the great state of Ohio. I grew up in a very small town in Southern Ohio, went to the Ohio State University, go Bucks. And right out of college, Goldman Sachs gave me a chance to move to New York and become a, a part of the hedge fund world. I moved to New York, fell into a bit of a pattern right out of the gate, wanting to keep my spot at Goldman. So I gave 200%. I lived in an amazing city with my best friend on the planet, and I didn't want to miss out on seeing the world as well. So the pattern, eat, sleep, breathe, work, go have fun. Right. Left very little time for sleep, zero time for what do I want my life to look like in five years. I was just focused on the moment every day. I literally blinked and five years had gone by. So enjoyed every minute of it but needed to take a step back and say, okay, been there, done that. What's next? Decided still young enough. I still want to see more. I want to go on a new adventure. Chicago sounds fun. Let's do that. 
So got an opportunity still within the hedge fund world in Chicago, moved there, met a great group of friends, fell very quickly into the same pattern. I dated a little, definitely not a lot. <laughs> I can vouch for that, by the way. <laughs> just, I, not that I didn't have an interest in it, but I think I was just having, I had such a heavy focus on so many other areas that I never took the time to date. I did a little. And that was on repeat for eight years of my time in, in Chicago. And at the end of 2013, my entire world came crashing down. The company that I worked for September of 2013, the CFTC um, came knocking on our door and they were questioning the executive team um, for potential misappropriation of funds. Eventually, it took about four months to liquidate the fund. I was just completely and utterly mentally drained after that. So January of 2014, I finally was released of my duties and obligations. I had done all that I could do to help in that awful time. And I took a break. So I took about four or five months to go sit on whatever beach I could find and really try and do some searching, find myself, think about what did I truly want out of life? Think about all the things that I had accomplished. What do they mean to me now? And what did I feel was missing? So I started to really think through what's next, reprioritized what was important to me, and really started to think about that long-term life plan. That long-term life plan somehow brought her north of the border to Canada, which is where I ended up meeting Laura. And um, we had a really interesting first meeting. <laughs> where you asked why on earth I came to Canada when the dating life was too tough. Yeah. <laughs> dating life was not necessarily any different than what I saw in New York and Chicago. But I think my priorities in life drastically changed. I was looking for my dream and truly my dream was to become a mom. It's not that I didn't want the entire package. Let's be honest. If Prince Charming showed up on my doorstep tomorrow, I would not slam the door in his face. But I realized I didn't need the entire package to be happy. I knew what I want. I wanted to be a mom. I wanted a child. I've known that since day one. I just lost a little bit of time having other adventures in life. But I, I made the decision to come to Canada for a number of reasons. I was certainly running from something, but I was looking to find something too. And certainly did my research and knew that Canada is a wonderful country that gives all sorts of benefits in the world of work-life balance focus on health, physical and mental, and afforded me the opportunity to potentially do this on my own, become a mom on my own without breaking the bank. What's interesting in terms of your comments about Canada, and I'm sure as a businesses may potentially struggle with this, but now we've moved away from um, 12 months of mat leave to actually 18 months. So it does give the value and recognition about, about the amount of effort that goes into motherhood and probably does make it a little bit easier for anyone who's considering having a family. Yeah, it's huge. In the United States, the average mat leave for a new mom is 12 weeks. New dads quite often don't get any time away. So the fact when I started my maternity leave, it was 12 months. That's huge. That's everything. That time up front with your baby to bond before trying to shift back into the work world meant everything to me. 
there also was an economical benefit to, to doing it in Canada. I mean, in the U.S., it can cost hundreds of thousands of, of dollars. And uh, time was not on my side in, in the reality of, of being able to do this and being able to become pregnant. But if I was successful, when you reach the age of 40, there's funding available that makes this economically feasible. While I made the decision that I didn't need a man to raise a child, needed a man to create one. <laughs> the first part is finding a donor. Let's step back a little bit. How did you come to getting comfortable with the fact that you were going to do this all on your own without a father? And then you'd have to answer this question of your child later in life as to, hey, who is my father? Oh my goodness. That's a loaded question. To be perfectly frank, when I decided I wanted this, I probably didn't take the time that I should have <laughs> thinking all of these things. I just, I knew I wanted it and I went after it. Now, thankfully, in the process, you are forced to sit down with a therapist and have them truly assess whether you are strong enough mentally, financially, physically to do this on your own. It's quite the task of being assessed. All the meanwhile, you're taking all the medication, you're giving yourself 12 shots a day, and you're going through an emotional roller coaster. But I never really paused or looked away from my end goal of knowing I wanted to be a mom to stop to ask those difficult questions. But one of the sessions with the therapist was how you need to start talking to your child very early on about go, me going through the donor process and having a donor father and having donor siblings. And so every year on his birthday, I sit him down. Yeah, as if he was like a teenager. And I have this conversation with him. And I wish I would have recorded the first version. It was so awful, so awkward. I was fumbling over my words. I had a glass of wine for courage. He's one year old. And, even and he's only three now, by the way. He's not yeah. like somebody who can process this. But yes, go on. But you do need to think through those challenges because I have been asked. In the past six months, he's asked me on multiple occasions. Not so much... Why don't I have a daddy? It's, I want a daddy. Just as any other kid would say, I want a brother or a sister or a fish or a dog. He wants a daddy. Now, luckily, we are surrounded by a number of men that can act as that father, uncle, older brother, male figure in his life. But it's heartbreaking when he asks for something that you can't give him. And that being a daddy was a difficult question for me to try and navigate. Now, I do want to clarify, Laura has this family that I'm envious of. Her parents are involved in her life and she's got a great brother and his family and her, their kids are so connected with Luke, her son. So Laura's got it good, but you knew you wanted a child and you did this and it was fulfilling your dream. Do you ever stop and say, oh, am I being fair to Luke? Or is my decision fair to Luke? In addition to the I want a daddy comment, I have struggled with knowing I can't give him a sibling. Just from a pure, as they get into the activity years, I can't be in two places at once. And I can't choose and then let the other one take himself to basketball practice. It's not a reality for me. And of course, this is everybody's, each unique individual decision, but in my opinion, I'm not in a place where I can give Luke a sibling 
for many different reasons beyond the being in two places at once. Also thinking about a single source income. Like, can I afford to send two kids to colleges in the States where tuitions are through the roof? Probably not. And so there are certain restrictions that make me pause and feel sorry for the fact that I can't give Luke those things if he wants those things. But I also firmly believe that my love is strong enough to act for all of those roles. I can be the mother. I can be the father. I surround myself with friends that have kids that absolutely adore and dote on Luke. And while I'm lucky enough to have a brother that is my best friend in life, I also have a secure, strong, solid group of friends that feel like siblings to me. So I feel as long as I surround him with good people, he forms good friendships, then maybe it's okay that he doesn't have actual blood siblings. Friends can act in the same capacity. I'm not saying this just to make you feel better or just because we're friends. You talked about all these qualifications and education that happens when you were going through this process. There are lots of people out there who have children who have no business having children. <laughs> we don't judge if they have a family structure together. And this is a con decision that was consciously made. And I hope that Luke will be able to understand that when he's older, that you have given him everything that you can possibly give him. The most important thing is love. And it's easy to say, but having a mom who you can connect with, who you can speak with, who'll be there for you. Those are just as important. And I think it, it, priorities change. Multitasking is key. You, there's never a down moment. You don't have the luxury of sitting down for five seconds. You, you, you take every second that you can get. You need to fill up the coffee pot. Great. Turn on the water. Go do whatever else you can get done in 10 seconds. Brush your teeth, your, your teeth, water the plants, whatever it takes. You just, you never waste a single second. So multitasking. And then again, the prioritization, you decide what has to get done in that moment and you don't sweat what doesn't get done. As long as he is kept safe and he's loved and he's fed and he's educated and he's all the things that are important to me, I don't sweat the small stuff. Have I washed my hair today? No. Did I wash it yesterday? I can't remember. Hey, do I have a billion fingerprints on my glass sliding door? Yep. Do I care? No. When he gets home from school tonight and after we have dinner, am I going to Windex the door? No, I'm going to read my book. I'm going to do a puzzle because that's what's important to me. And so it all comes down to prioritization and not sweating the small stuff. Not everything's going to get done. You will get overwhelmed. But in the moments that I do get overwhelmed, and to be honest, it happens a lot. <laughs> but when I do get overwhelmed, I'm reminded by a quote that my dad said to me when this all started. And it's, when fate whispers to you, you cannot withstand the storm, you whisper back, I am the storm. And that's how I motivate myself, how I keep myself going on. You don't sweat the small stuff. And when you get hit by something that you're not anticipating and it throws you for a loop, you get up, you brush yourself off and you soldier on. I just want to say one moment that I recall. And so poor Laura is in Toronto, by the way, having this baby on her own. Like her family doesn't live here. They're in the States. She had, when was Luke born? February 27th. February 27th, right? He was born on February 27th. Her mom comes down to take care of her. We go over to see her. And this is a moment that I knew that Laura was meant to be a mom and that she was all in. She wouldn't let us. It's not that she would let us, but unless you ask, she didn't offer for anyone to hold that baby because she was just holding on to him tight and just looking at him and deeply in love. But this is the part that's really 
sad and interesting and admirable all at the same time is her mom leaves because she's come down for two weeks. And then we get hit with the pandemic and a lockdown and she's all alone doing this. Motherhood is hard enough as it is when you're going through sleepless nights, crying, colicky babies. But she did this all on her own. I had my breakdowns. It was a certainly an interesting time. The timing was just flat out wild. So I had Luke. And actually, when I gave birth to him, Toronto had its first known case of COVID in the hospital where I gave birth. It was right as it all was beginning. My mom did sneak, not sneak. <laughs> she made it across the border before the borders closed. So she was able to help me out for the first few weeks of Luke's life. But eventually she had to, to return to home. And it was hard. In the early days, I never left the house other than to take a walk. I had groceries delivered. We weren't really seeing each other, right? Our friend circle, we had video calls to start. We eventually took a chance and got together outside. But but I was in a house all, all alone with this infant and it got hard. So I eventually did make the decision after his four-month vaccination to... I had our good friend Caroline drive me to the Canadian border and I walked across the Peace Bridge pushing Luke in a stroller. <laughs> as many clothes as I could carry. I had duffel bags hanging off the stroller. I looked like a Sherpa. It was the crazy, oh. not a soul in sight, right? No cars, no pedestrians, nobody. And I had the most lovely walk across the Peace Bridge with the falls on one side, beautiful blue skies, not a cloud in the sky, perfect temperature, walked across the bridge, opened up the, the door to the, the customs office. And it was just like, all the heads popped up like, what are you doing? And nobody's supposed to be out. And here I am pushing a baby in a stroller with pink bags hanging off. Explained my situation and said I was going back to the States to have the support that I needed to get through this time, having an infant in the midst of COVID. And so my brother was standing on the other side of the, the customs door on the U.S. side of the Peace Bridge. And he drove me back to the great state of Ohio. And I spent the rest of my maternity surrounded by the family that I needed to get through that tough time. That's such a funny and awesome story all in one. Can, we, we didn't hit on this, but I actually wanted to ask you this. So Laura is tiny. Laura, like how tall are you? 5'2". Five, five, oh, yeah. Luke at four months was like a ginormous ball because I don't think most of us could carry him. He was He's quite a sturdy baby. So tell us how you picked your donor, Laura. So I'll tell you what, the donor selection process was... Nothing as I envisioned. I thought I'd get a magazine with a bunch of pictures and pick out whoever looked cute to me. I was so overly impressed with the access of information that you get in the selection process. So you get health, education, hobbies and interests, nationality for not only the donor, but his parents, his siblings, his aunts, his uncles, his cousins, his grandparents, his great grandparents. There are pictures of him as an infant, as a toddler, as a, a teenager, as an adult. And then there's an audio where he tells his life story. And so you get to hear his voice and his passions of life. And I was just blown away. And I may have overshot in the height department. <laughs> that I was challenged in that department. I think he may have been 6'6". Six, six. Oh, geez. <laughs> okay. overshot. Maybe I overshot a little on that one. Okay. But yeah, Luke's a giant. So He's now, okay, so this was, so basically when Luke grows up and becomes 18, theoretically he could reach out to this person, correct? Correct. That's awesome. And having that video, that's so cool. And it feels so much more personal. 
look, we talked a little bit about your challenges, but what do you struggle with now? Aside from obviously answering some of Luke's questions, do you feel like at any point in time you've lost you? Definitely not. Definitely not. I am very proud of the career that I left. I don't regret focusing so many years on that portion of my life, but I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything to me now because I still, I, I now am afforded the opportunity to work for a wonderful company that still keeps me challenged every day and feeling as if I'm growing from a career perspective. Uh, but it gives me the, the work-life balance that I need to be a single mom and to be able to do this all on my own. I think I struggle mostly in the world of, like, I completely underestimated how tough the tough days would be. And yeah, you know, one example, we both had COVID at the same time. So trying to care for a sick child when you yourself are sick is a challenge. Um, my parents are in South Carolina. My brother's in Ohio, but still 90 minutes away. I do have friends and family here in Columbus, but I, I made the decision to be a parent knowing I was going to be on my, my own. I do want to do it all myself. You know, I have to work. I have to earn an income. So I'm forced to be away from my child for eight hours a day, but I want to spend every other minute with him that I can. And maybe that's part of me not having an interest in the, the dating world today as well, because do I, want to, do I want to sacrifice an hour or two of time away from my son to go on what could potentially be the bad date? No, I don't. I, I really, really, really wanted to be a mom. I am so grateful for the fact that my dream came true, that I'm not going to waste a single second of it. I guess you don't really know how tough it's going to get because when he becomes a teenager with a mind of his own, he's going to challenge you on things and you may not have somebody to back you up at that moment in time. The challenges will always be there. They'll shift, they'll change, but absolutely. There's always going to be a challenge to overcome. But again, it's all a matter of prioritization. You figure it out. You pivot and you shift accordingly and you make sacrifices that you wouldn't necessarily make without a child in, in that instance, but you make sacrifices and you make it work because that's what you want. This is the new dream. This is the new priority. A friend of mine recently reached out to you to ask about your experiences. She's considering having a child on her own as well. So this is by no means an unusual dilemma or scenario or thought process. What was something that she asked that stood out for you that you'd like others to think about? And for anyone at a point in their lives, considering having a child of their own, what words of wisdom do you share? I remember vividly this conversation with your friend and she asked all the things that you could, you should consider the financial toll that it can take, that having the mental strength, having a support system and even in times when I didn't have a support system right next door, you still, you take the phone calls, you take the video calls, you take the support in any way, shape or form that you can get it. And again, you, you prioritize, you have to fully appreciate that you're going to get unexpected interruptions. You, things are never going to go according to plan. And that's okay. There was an incident a couple of months ago when Luke was about three and a half and I thought I was past the years of being, not being able to turn away for three seconds. 
And so I went downstairs. It was, it was after dinner, right before bed, bath, that whole routine. And his water bottle was empty. So I went downstairs to fill his water bottle and I heard the scream. And it was 40 seconds that I was gone. And in those 40 seconds, he had managed to plug the treadmill in, oh. take the safety key out, turn the sucker on, get his hand caught in the belt and found a secondary burn. Oh, dear. Yeah. So it, but instantly went to Nationwide. They cleaned the wound. They patched him up. We had a couple of weeks where he would sit in the bathtub with his, his wrapped arms straight up in the air. And it, you have those challenges. You have those moments where you think, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm, I'm failing miserably. And here we are two months later and he's perfectly fine. His hand is healed. It's held brilliantly. Scariest moment of my life. And certainly the moment where I crying just traumatically thinking, I can't do, I can't do this on my own. But again, you brush yourself off, you recover and take each day as they come. I know you have a lot of friends and family and you're very close with them and you talk to them all the time. But have you ever in all of this felt the need to go get a, to have a therapist or somebody to help you? in those moments, just check in on you on a regular basis and somebody to bear all good and bad. Yeah. You know, I think about that a lot. <clears throat> I've thought about just to have an independent ear that knows nothing about me, that has no link to me. I thought about it a lot after I was actually in New York for 9-11 and that really took a toll on me mentally. So I've thought a lot about it over the years and post Luke, I haven't sought out therapy for myself. Although funny that you ask, I had a conversation with Luke's daycare teachers last week and they think I need to have a child therapist come into daycare to just assess him from emo an emotional standpoint. And I asked why, and they said, well, you know, he, he has some breakdowns from time to time and perfect example today, we were lining up to go outside and he couldn't stand by his best friend. Um, and so he threw a tantrum and I was like, all right, well, first of all, he's three. <laughs> Secondly, just let him stand by his best friend. <laughs> but I absolutely see the value in that and will 100% go with their advice. And I've started to think about that for myself as well. I think it's absolutely a, a healthy thing to do. And it's, it's good to get thoughts out again to your family. Yes. To your friends. Yes. But, but to an independent party as well. 100% see the value in that. Before we leave, why did you decide to come on the show today and talk about your experience? I, honestly, Miriam, in full transparency, I actually struggled with the, de the decision. I had a momentary pause. On one hand, I want to help. This is hands down the best thing I have done with my life. And if my story can reach one person, and give them the courage to go after their dream of becoming a mom and doing this solo and finding the same joy that I found, well worth it. My momentary pause was because I feel like I'm sharing this story with the public before my own son even understands it. But I think, in, and I'm so grateful for being able to do this in this day and age, this is becoming normal. This is becoming accepted. He will have multiple kids in his class that come from the same journey. And so I think that he'll be proud of me for trying to make a difference 
and trying to share our story of love and hopes that it helps other folks that are at that same crossroad in life that I found myself in 2013 and 14 and exploring who, what, and where they want to be in this world. If my story helps, then this is all well worth it. I commend you for your bravery and I thank you for coming on here. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be a ton of people who are going to appreciate and understand also the experience better. Forget the work that's involved, but also just understanding what thought process goes into it, I think isn't something we always talk about. So I really appreciate you coming on here today. Thank you for having me. Raising a child is a commitment and a sacrifice when you've got two parents in the mix. So it definitely takes serious strength of character to voluntarily go it alone as Laura has done. I never really thought about the process so much as the outcome, so I'm glad that Laura agreed to share her story with me. I have no doubt that Luke will grow up proud of his mother, not just because she's here today sharing her experiences with the intention of helping others, but because she's a devoted and loving mother through and through. Yes, Laura took an untraditional path to parenthood, and it might not be something everyone is comfortable with. But don't for a minute think that what she and so many other men and women are doing today in raising their child alone is untraditional, unconventional. While I know we'd all love for children to grow up supported by two parents, in the United States, almost a quarter of children under the age of 18 are raised in single-parent households due to various factors, very few of which are related to the choice to be a single parent by choice. I embarked on this conversation with Laura to learn more about what's possible for me and how to make it a success. Your path to parenthood should align with your values, resources, and support network. But knowing that you have options helps to bring peace and clarity, especially in times when so much around us lies beyond our control and plans. As we conclude today's episode, I want to leave you with this thought. Whether you're pursuing motherhood fatherhood, or simply seeking to define your own unique version of family, remember that you're not alone on this journey. So many people out there are navigating similar challenges, questions, and crossroads, and we're here to learn, grow, and share our stories together. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And now that you've taken a break, let's go explore. Until next time, live strong and embrace the daybreak. break.